0: Last weekend, Doug uh, was preaching about something that's so dear to my heart, which is the majesty of God. Just reminding me what a, what a great, awesome God, like like many of you guys shouted out, just a, the, the being, the holy being that we worship. Sometimes we can lose sight of that and we can just come for another week of church rather than really focusing on the fact that we're coming before an eternal, holy, majestic God. Um, and it's because of that that we give Him our best. You know, I, I, I struggle with this. Sometimes I'll, I'll put together a message and kind of go, okay, that's good enough, you know, because it's good enough to my standards. And I forget, no, I'm doing this in service of a, of a holy God, and what does He deserve? Um, the same with our worship and our singing and our prayer. It's like we can get by and, and satisfy one another, but we have to remember who are we praying to, who are we singing to, and, and what does that majestic holy God deserve, and to always give Him our best. It's hard to remember all of that, though. It's hard to it's hard to stay focused. But that's why, even like in our membership, you know, like we put the, the thing in your um, in your bulletins again. Just this, this will be the last time I mention it. For those who want to be a member of the church, we're saying, you know, we want a commitment. We want to, We want to give God our best. We really want to know that you're you're going to serve in this church, and, and and not because we deserve it or anyone else deserves it, but because it's it's for God. And so there is a high commitment level and uh, and we do want to stay in contact with you and check up on you and, and that's why we have you fill that up and say, you know what, this is what I want to do this year. I really do want to spend time alone with God. I, I do want to read you know, my, my Bible. I really do want to be in fellowship with other people. I really do want to serve this body. I do want to reach these people and, and for us to have that information on you so we can call you, you know, in a few months and say, hey, how are you doing on that? You know, Are you still doing that? Are you still pursuing the goals you had in the beginning of the year? You know, like I said in the beginning of the series, the difference between uh, being a member and just attending is is, is like the difference between uh, joining a gym and actually having a, a trainer. You know, like like I'm a member at, at Mapes Gym and I, I go there regularly, about once a month. And um, <laughs> you know, because it's like you know, hey, you know, it does it doesn't really no one knows. I just kind of slip in, slip out, and you know, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. But then the, the difference is that I have a, a buddy of mine who's a fitness trainer, Andy Steinfeld, right over there. And, uh, you know, and he's over there at results over there on Sycamore and, uh, and LA. And, uh doing a little commercial for you. <laughs> but, uh, but no, Andy, I mean, to him, it's like his his personal quest to make sure I'm in shape. Like, he'll actually call me, you know, just out of the blue and go, hey, Frankie, you're looking kind of scrawny up there. You know, and, uh you know, come on, just come in for 10 minutes, 10 minutes, I'll be screaming like a little girl. You know, like, oh. it's just... You know, and, and just just to stay on top of man, man, are you doing anything to keep your health going and this and that? You know, and, and it's great, you know, just to have someone on me to tell me that. That's kind of what we want to do as a church and as a staff is to, is to say, you know, if people are serious and they want to grow in their walk with the Lord and they want to be members of this church, then we need to be serious about coming alongside of them and saying, hey, here's the things that you wanted in your life spiritually. How can I help you? How can I come alongside of you? So it's not that you're just attending a church and we leave you alone, but that there's a relationship and there's a connection and, and we spur one another, as the Bible says, onto love and good deeds. Well, last last um last week while while Doug was preaching here, I, I got to go to Idaho and uh and um Idaho is actually not as Weird as I thought it'd be. Um, I don't know. You know, I just thought Idaho. You know, and uh, someone's clapping. But uh, you know, to go visit Paul Hatfield, who used to be our worship pastor, and he planted a church out there, and it was just great. They put together a little five-minute promo video of their church, and since we as a church support them, I thought it'd be good to show you guys what's going on at the Pursuit. I preached there last weekend, and they met in a movie theater. There's about, uh, I think they counted like 175 people. And uh, it was just fun. It was fun. But, but you can watch this video It shows a little bit about their church.
1: I went to the Pursuit because these kids invited me. And I figured, why did I not check it out? Because it's called The Pursuit. I've never heard of a church called The Pursuit. Like, what is that? And I went in there thinking that I was actively pursuing something. And I came out of it knowing that God was pursuing me.
0: It's made a huge impact on my life, <laughs> even in this short time. I what I really like about The Pursuit is that... The unchurched people are the priority. I think that the outreach and making sure that we're, get, we're bringing in people who haven't heard about Christ yet.
1: Like, I didn't really know how to live for God. I was living for myself. Anything I do on my own is not worth it. Anything I do for God matters. So, in that, I'm grateful that he put me there. Francis, the pastor from Simi, mentioned... The worship pastor from our park is moving to Idaho. The very next weekend, the sermon was on Francis hauled out the big rubber lifeboat and was talking about getting out of the boat. And we've never gotten out of that boat. Everything we've ever done has always been to stay in the boat. Yes. And so we just, that was a Sunday. By that Friday, we'd flown out to Idaho, driven around, bought a house. and flew back Tuesday and, and then met Paul and Angela. My name is Amber. Um, I found the pursuit because they came to Chrysalis, the place that I was living, which is a Chris or a Christian transitional home for women. I bring my friends because, like, I don't know, the first time I went there, as soon as I left church, I was like... I had called my friend Tom and I'm like, you've got to go to this church, you will love it. Because he kind of, you know... and. He did love it, and then so I just offer it to most of the girls that come through Chrysalis. Um, I ask them if they want to go. And they do. And then they end up liking it, and they keep coming back. It's awesome. Yeah.
0: So today, you decided to follow so.
1: Christ. Mm-hmm. want to do Well, oh,
0: it's my uh, pleasure to baptize you, Jordan, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
1: All right. First day of the first day, not bad. the people I'm already wet. I'm really glad I came to Boise. It was um, not a difficult decision when you um, respond to God's calling, it's very easy. The hard part is when your flesh decides it wants to fight it a little bit and you're, you think of all the reasons why you shouldn't do such a big move. lived in California for 40 years, spent almost my entire life there, and I thought I would always move out of state. I just didn't think it would be Idaho, like Idaho. But this is where God called me to be, and I'm really glad that I came. God has put me there. He put me there. I I am so excited. I am so excited for the music. I'm so excited to pursue these relationships and to be part of something so big and so great and just know that I am gonna be useful, that I'm gonna be effective and that the people there are gonna help me grow. You know, it it's what do I think about the pursuit? It changed my life <laughs> you know, like just being there and like playing on Sunday and just having people hearing people seeing and knowing that was the loudest that anybody's ever saying at The Pursuit. Knowing that they want the music, knowing that they want to worship God, and that I was up there helping that, like helping, showing people God. Like that's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's rad. <laughs> I want more. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm tired of falling on my face, Lord. Get up, tell myself, wow, I'm tired of singing the same songs. Na 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 Wow wow I'm so hot, I'm so low, I'm so hot, I'm so cold, I'm so young, but I'm feeling so all out. I'm at peace, I'm at war. I want less, I want more, I want it all, but I don't know what it's for.
0: It's pretty cool because uh yeah. It's just amazing as I started talking to different people in that church. You know, after I spoke, I just asked, "How long have you been coming?" I mean, a lot of people it was their first weekend, but uh, just asked them their backgrounds. And many of them came out of like these drug backgrounds, you know, straight out of prison, this and that. And and honestly, I mean, to me, I just thought this is so weird because you guys remember Paul, Paul Hatfield. I mean, he was just like your calm, straight-laced type person. He'll be the first to say, "Man, this is the last thing I thought God was going to do through me." You know, having ministered to all these people that are coming through such such weird, tough backgrounds that he wasn't used to. But it, it just reminded me, this is about prayer. In, in fact, the girl that was on that video that was in black and white, you know, it was a couple people from Cornerstone that were happened to be driving through Idaho. And, uh, and she was their waitress. And she starts, you know, talking to these two guys from Cornerstone, See Me. Same way, you know, we have a church actually out here in Boise. Let let us take you to it. And they took her to church, and uh, she just broke down and gave her life to the Lord. And it's it just there was just story after story of okay, how did you get here? And and just the most amazing. Just there, there's no way it was coincidence, you know, that that Angela would be talking to some lady, you know, and then her husband would be getting a flyer from Paul at the same time, you know, in opposite ends of the city, and just both come home saying, you know, hey, I met someone, or I did. Just You just go, this is, this is too weird. You know, It's just so clearly the hand of God and, and prayer. And um, man, it's just exciting to see what's going on there. But again, just rekindled my passion for prayer and saying, you know what, I, I want to see more of that. More and more of just the supernatural, things you can't explain. Of why did that person end up at church that weekend? Why did you end up in that conversation with that person? Why did this happen, that happen? It's all, it's all prayer. And um, this year for, for Easter... We're going to spend a lot more time just just praying beforehand. Um, you know, I, when you study the book of Acts, a lot of times we'll talk about the day of Pentecost and go, man, remember when, when, when Peter preached there in Acts chapter 2 and 3,000 people come forward, they go in the water, they get baptized, and then thousands were being added to, to their number. Well, you look at what Peter actually said during that time, and it's actually a short, simple sermon, maybe 10 minutes long. But I really believe all the power happened because even though the message was only 10 minutes, they had spent the previous 10 days in this upper room praying, praying that God would do something happen. They prayed for 10 days and preached for 10 minutes. And so often we do the opposite. You know, we prepare and try to create this awesome service that's just going to nail everyone. And we, we spend maybe 10 minutes, you know, beforehand praying for it, that, that God will bless it real quick. And, uh, and it, it really is backwards. And this year we're just going to spend, you do it right, spend a lot more time in prayer. In fact, I think one of the most powerful times we've ever experienced as a church was at that Moore Park Stadium and, uh, and, and, and just seeing God just work just so evidently that day, but the amount of prayer that went into that day I, I don't know we ever prayed as much as a staff and as a church. And so this year we want to do the same thing and just pray even more. Um, this Friday night, this Friday night, at 10 p.m here, we're going to have an all-night prayer meeting um, from 10 at night till six in the morning. And uh, I've never prayed all night long, but I just know, man, the more you pray and the more you, you give to the Lord, just the greater life's going to be. So I, I, I can't wait for that. And I pray that many of you will join me, you know, here in, in this sanctuary at 10 o'clock till 6. You know, a lot of you, you, won't last all the way through the night, but stay up as late as you can in here just praying with us, praying that God does some great things in your life, and the lives of your neighbors, of, of your friends, your classmates, people you work with. Um, maybe you just stop in at midnight and pray for an hour. You know, or you're up at three in the morning. Come in, just pray for an hour. Bring your family in or whatever. You know, just, just, uh, just, to, to, just to seriously bathe uh, this this coming holiday in prayer, and even your own life. In fact, we're going to kick off this Friday, really a week a week long um, prayer and fast. You know, with the whole church, uh, just to encourage you. Maybe you go the whole week without eating, and every time you're hungry, you just you pray to God. The whole idea is to stay focused and, and, and pray, pray to God during this week. It's, it's the week of uh, what some call Passion Week or Holy Week as we think through the, the last week of Christ's life. But we're going to go from next Friday to the following Friday of just a time where we devote to prayer as a church. And and maybe you don't want to fast the whole week, you know, it's nothing, it's it's all got to be voluntary, something you joyfully want to do. Maybe you just skip lunches for the whole week, maybe you skip a day of meals, maybe you you fast from something else, from golf or shopping, you know, and so you take that time to seriously pray, just so that the church is praying more than ever. Um, Also that week, from Monday through Friday, uh, we'll be having prayer meetings every morning here in the sanctuary from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Um, just getting in here early, starting our day off, and just praying to God. But just, I, I just can't wait to see what God does in my own life, personally, um, in your lives, and, and as a church body. Um, it's just the it's it's not this sacrifice. I think I used to look at these things as oh, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to suffer for God. But then over time, you realize, man, this it brings you so much joy. It's like the greatest thing in the world, um, and more time with God just makes life so much better. So I, I pray that some of you guys will join me here Friday night, uh, 10 to 6, from any, any, any time in there that you can make it, that'd be great. Anyways, this morning we're back in the book of Luke. Remember the book of Luke? we have only been studying it for three years. Uh, Luke, I, but there are plans to finish it now, you know, I think we've got a couple months left, we're at the end, um, but, but you know, you want to take your time through the sayings of Jesus and the life of Christ but when we left off, he was, uh, there were people there at the temple that were trying to question Jesus, try to cap, you know, really trap him in his words. And so where we left off is kind of where we pick up. Same thing's going on. People are trying to you know, just kind of baffle Jesus, question him. Because he's been teaching and all these people are following him and there are people who don't believe in Jesus and so they're coming and saying, you know, watch this, let's make a fool of Jesus in front of everyone. And so you got this passage in Luke 20, verse 20, and it says this, Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So that's their that's question. Okay, there's this group of people. Now, Luke doesn't explain who these people are, but if you read in the Gospel account of Matthew, Matthew explains that the people that ask this question are two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, interesting thing is when they're asking, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Remember the government structure back then. You had the Roman Empire, okay? And the Caesar, Caesar was just the name of uh, the emperor, Okay, and, and, and every emperor after Julius Caesar was named Caesar. Okay, so it was Caesar something, you know. And, um, and, and this guy was Caesar Tiberius. And, and the whole idea, is they're saying, okay, should we pay to the Roman Empire, you know, taxes to, to, to this emperor? Because what the Roman Empire did was they allowed Israel to remain a nation, under the Roman Empire. So they would let them have their own governance, and, and I've talked about this before, kind of let them carry on business and have a successful economy. But what they would do then is tax them to death and take their money. And that's how the empire grew. And so the whole idea is, is that the, the Romans, uh, Caesar, would allow them to have a king even. And, and they appointed, the Roman Empire appointed King Herod. Many of you are familiar with that name. So he had this group called the Herodians. The Herodians were probably like a political party that supported the views of Herod. And then you had the Pharisees. Are you still with me? The Pharisees, they thought it was wrong to pay taxes to Caesar because they would quote the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy 17, verse 15, it tells them um, that, that he tells the people of Israel, when you go into your land, do not appoint a foreigner or a stranger to be ruler over you. Okay? That you need to appoint someone from amongst your own people. And so they said, so because the Old Testament teaches that, then we shouldn't recognize the Roman Empire, the Roman government. We shouldn't pay taxes to them because they're foreigners. Now, the Herodians who, who were probably a group of people that followed Herod, Herod's perspective on this was, no, Deuteronomy 17, 15, in context, if you read it, it really talks about the, the Israelites choosing a ruler and saying, look, when you choose a ruler, make sure you choose one of your own countrymen. And he would say, we're not exactly choosing the situation we're in. We're forced. We're under this Roman Empire. They're governing over us. It's not our choice. And so therefore, we need to pay taxes to them because we're under their authority. And so these, you know, these two groups are coming to Jesus and saying, okay, so who's right? And the whole point of this yeah, remember, the whole point of this is that they would put Jesus in a position that whatever he said, one of the groups would be angry at him, right? That's what they do. They're trying to say, okay, let's either get all the people that follow Herod and Caesar you know, to be angry at Jesus, or let's get the Pharisees and a lot of the Jews against Jesus. And so they ask him this question, but, I, but their motive again, look at verse 20. They, they sent spies who pretend to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said. It was, the, I want to spend a moment on this because these people came with a desire. Okay, it wasn't like they just came neutrally and said, "Hey, Jesus, we really have a question for you." No, they, they, they try to say, "Oh, we respect you, we want to hear your opinion." But it says very clearly they came as spies. They hoped to catch him in something he said, and I bring that up because they came with a desire, and honestly. Everyone that has walked into this room today, everyone in the satellite room, comes with a desire. Okay, we all have our desires. You ever had someone ask you a question about God and your beliefs and about Jesus, but as they asked you, their desire was to disprove you. You know, they came because they were just trying to disprove what you believed. They had a desire, they didn't want to believe in this God, and so they came attacking, trying to disprove him. Then there's other people that may ask the very same question, but you ever been asked a question by someone who actually wants to know God, and they seriously just have questions? But they have a desire to know God. You know, and they, the two people may ask you the same question, but one with a motive to disprove God, and one with a motive because they want to know God. And, and, and so we'll answer the question, and I bring this up because sometimes we'll get frustrated and we'll say, gosh, maybe I gave the wrong answer because that person now you know, has turned their back on God or this or that. And it's like, well, I don't know that it's so much about our answers as much as the desire they come with. It's just like, was, 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 were these people really coming to know truth, or are they coming to try to dispel truth and try to reject Jesus? And you'll have all sorts of people in your life that will question you, not with the motive of knowing God but of a motive of trying to prove that there's no God and to disprove God and disprove your beliefs. At the same time, you'll have others with the desire to to know God and they'll ask you questions because they really are intrigued and want to understand, is there a God or not? Is Jesus truly the Son of God or isn't he? They truly want to know. And the tough thing is, you can't change their heart. And that's why we pray. That's why we have this all-night prayer. That's why we spend a week fasting and praying. Is because no matter what answer I give some of these people, it's not going to change their heart. Their hearts were in a condition when they came to me. And God, the Holy Spirit's got to change them. And that's what we pray for. Anyways, uh, they ask this question. Should we pay taxes? Jesus answers verse 23. He saw through their duplicity. Very important phrase because he sees through anyone who's fake. You know, you, you can come in here and, and totally lie about your life and I'm not going to know the difference. But here he's explaining like Jesus saw through their duplicity. Great word. And said to them, Show me a denarius. That was a Roman coin. Whose portrait and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public and astonished by his answer they became silent. Now, now, you may look at that and go, that doesn't seem like that great of an answer. It, it actually really is. He, he asked them, okay, these people that are against paying taxes to Caesar, he goes, hey, pull, pull out a denarius. That was a Roman coin. He goes, pull that out. and He pulls it out of his pocket. And he goes, now whose picture is on it? And he goes, Caesar's. And how about the inscriptions? Who did that belong to? And that would kind of describe the titles of Caesar. It's Caesar. I'm like, well, who does that belong to then? You know, that's from the Roman government. They're the ones that are allowing this economy to take place. And so you need to give to them what you owe them. He goes, at the same time, you need to give to God what you owe God. Because the Pharisees were saying, no, you should just give to the temple. Because that's God's, you know. And, and he says, you know what, give to God what's God's. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. You know, biblically, we're supposed to give everyone what we owe them. And he says, since you've got his money in your pocket, obviously you use his services, you use his government, you use his way of governing, so give him what, do you, what you owe him. And uh, the thing is, 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 if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. It's a principle that, that we, we really need to understand. This idea that as Christians, we, we give people what we owe them. And in Romans 13, he makes a statement about government that goes exactly with what Jesus is saying here. Verse 1, Romans 13, it says, Everyone must... Submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Skip down to verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. It's pretty clear biblically what our responsibility is. is You you pay your taxes. And I say that now, very timely, right? Uh, As we're preparing our returns, Jesus says, look... You're using the government services, you know, so you know what, pay back to them what you owe them. You know, don't, don't try to cut corners, don't try to, you know, finagle it a little bit here or there or whatever, you know, and cheat a little bit. He says, you know, God's watching and God actually put that government in place and they're your authority and so therefore you need to respect them and take care of them and, and pay what, what you owe to them and... Um, and yet, at the same time, he says, then you give to God. What is God's? Now, that's kind of a loaded statement, because what is God's? Pretty much everything. You know, he, he says, but he says, you know what? Think through. What, what do you owe God? What should you be giving to him? What should you be giving to your government? What should you be giving to this guy, that guy? Whoever you owe anything to, just give them what they deserve. God put them in that place right now. Um, and so that was his answer. His answer wasn't, hey, you should pay taxes, you shouldn't pay taxes. He just says, you know what? Give to the people what you owe them. You know, if you're under someone's authority, under someone's rule, you need to take care of that and, uh, and obey them. And at the same time, you know, there's, there's other times in Scripture, like you read in the book of Acts, when, uh, when they were commanded to disobey God by the authorities. Now, in those cases, when we're commanded, you know, like if the government ever said, hey, you guys can't pray... You know, we say, well, that's a direct command of Scripture, and so I have to obey God before you. But in most cases in our lives here in America, that doesn't really affect us. Um, But if there does come a time when the government says something that goes clearly against what Scripture says as far as what you need to do, then you obey God. You know, as the Apostle said, should we obey God or men rather than God? And as a rhetorical question, of course not. We always obey God first. So there's, there's, uh, Jesus' response to them. But then another group comes to them. And this group's really interesting. They're called the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in eternal life. That's why they were sad, you see. They, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. But, uh, no, the, the whole idea of the Sadducees was they, they believed, <laughs> that was stupid. I heard it from some other preacher. That's a Anyways, uh, they they believed in God. They believed in God. and may have even believed in the scriptures, but they would say that the scriptures didn't teach about life after death. They didn't talk about a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in the spirit world. Okay, so it was a really weird group, but it was a very powerful group, but a very large group. And the Sadducees, they come up to Jesus in verse 27, and, uh, and they ask an interesting question. In verse 27, it says, some of the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, they came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second then the third married her in the same way the seven died leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Okay, so these guys are asking a question. That's not impossible. It could happen. But really they're doing it because they're just, you know, in jest of Jesus. Hey, you who believe in this resurrection, you who are talking about this eternal life, you know, what if this happens? And, and he explains a situation that's very weird for us. Okay, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6, in the law of Moses, it did say for the Israelites... That if, for example, I have an older brother, my older brother Paul. If we were Jewish, which we're not, I don't know if you notice that. But uh, if we were Jewish, and my brother and I lived back in in the days of the Old Testament, and my bro- my older brother got married, he married this this, this gal, and uh, and and I was still unmarried. Now, if my brother died, it would be my duty then. I would have to marry his wife if I was single, and the first kid the first son, I should say, would take on my brother's name so that his lineage would never die out. Okay? And then if I died, you know, and we still didn't have kids, then, you know, if I had a younger brother, then he'd have to marry her. That was just the way they did it. And now, now we read that and we go, gosh, that's weird. I mean, I read that and I think that's weird. I go, I don't want to marry my, my brother's wife. You know? And And, and because... Because we live in such an individualistic society, in a world where, I mean, everything's about me. And it's like, man, I want to pick my own wife. I'm going to marry my brother's old wife. You know, it's just, it's just you know, who, who wants to do that? You know, but the whole idea here is God had a plan for the nation of Israel. God had to have this larger plan for the the nation of Israel where He wanted them to perpetuate. He wanted them to grow. He didn't want any of their lineages to die out. And this was a way of preserving that. And the people actually saw God's plan, His overall plan for the big picture of Israel as more important than their own individual desires. You know, so it's like, well, yeah, that's probably not the one I would choose, but You know what, I'm a part of this bigger thing, this bigger plan, this economy of Israel that God is doing here. And 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 that's so hard for us to understand here in America because our culture is nothing like that. It's like ah forget mom and dad, forget, you know, I'm just gonna go and do my thing, rather than realizing now there's a bigger thing called the family unit. There's a bigger thing called the United States of America. You know, and, and even in the church, that was the picture that God gives the church. That it's not just about you. Finding an individual church where you go, you know what, I, I like it here. This meets all of my needs. It's all about me. But no, he says that no, you're actually a part, that all of us, we're, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. That we're a piece of this puzzle called the church. The Bible calls it a body. You know, one person's a fingernail, another person's a finger, another guy's a, a foot. You know, whatever it is, we're all, we're all joined together somehow in God's plan as this body as a whole. And we work together to preserve the unity of this body. We march together as a body, each using our individual gifts in unison, and there's some sort of harmony that God wants. And I'm kind of going off on a, on a rabbit trail on this thing, but, but the whole idea is I, I want us to remember that it's not about me. It's not about me going, man, I don't like the church. You know, there's too many people now. And, and a lot of them, you know, this, that, or whatever. It's too, I have to stop and go, well, wait a second. This isn't just about me and what I like and what would be most comfortable for Francis. It's about me being a part of something bigger than me. And right now what God says is, no, I'm having you as the mouth. You know, I'm having you speak at this, at this part of it and you're part of something bigger and you, you try to help organize and, and, and you and the elders try to figure out how to make this body move the best because it's not about you as individuals. See, that's what we want this church to be. Do you think that way though? Anyway, I'm saying a whole lot about this one verse. Anyway, the, the, the point of this verse, though, is uh, what, what do you do if all these people die? You know, this, this woman, she married seven people, and then they all die in heaven. Who gets her? Or who's stuck with her, depending on what kind of woman she was. You know, who, who, who's going to be married to this, to this girl in heaven? And then Jesus gives a great answer, because, and we need to know these things, because it teaches a lot about heaven. Okay, and, and we're going to be there a while, so we, we want to know what is it like up there? And Jesus responds in verse 34, He says, "The people of this age, you know you guys here on earth, marry and are given in marriage, but those who are concern, considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they're like the angels. They're like God's children, since they're children of the resurrection. But in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Okay, so Jesus' response, and he says, you know, the Sadducees do what we do. We try to make heaven so much like what we experience. We try to compare it to something on earth, you know, where we go, oh, it's going to be just like this. And and what Jesus explains is, you're thinking about this age, where you guys have children, you get married, you do this or that. He goes, heaven isn't like that. He goes, in fact, when you get to the next existence, you're going to realize there's no marrying there. Um, He goes, and "And also there's no death. He goes, like the angels. Like the angels, you know how the angels, they never die? He goes, that's the way you're going to be. So, it's a different existence. You can't compare it to time on earth where, you, where you're worried about this person dying or that person dying. He goes, There's no death and there's no marriage. But he says, Instead, it's going to be like a, we're all children of God. Now, some people that have read that passage, and I've talked to people about this, they, they get bummed out by that, and I understand that. You know, like I, I've heard people say, Gosh, you know, I, I don't understand. We, we've been married so long. And our marriage is is so good, you know, and I, I just can't imagine going to heaven and not being married to him or married to her anymore, because this is all I know. Anyone in this room been married over 30 years? Over here. Oh, a lot. That's great. That's great. So, so you, you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I, I haven't married 11 years. And every year, it's like, man, this is better and better and better, and I feel closer and closer to my wife, and she really is just a part of me, and I can't imagine, you know, what if you, you're married 30-something years, 40-something years, you know, I did a funeral for for a couple, you know, they were married over 50 years, you know, and I just thought, wow, what is that, what is that like, you know, the, the bond that must take place after that, and, and you see the pain once they lose that partner after so many years, you just go, gosh, What is that like? And and so for those who have a great marriage, you think, man, I can't imagine eternity and no longer being married. And I think that too. And, And we can even get bummed out, but then we just have to remember, okay, wait a second, the God who created marriage, the God who created love and created this relationship says, I have something better. And you go, wow, if you made something this great and you're telling me the next life there's something even beyond this, and a new existence where we all exist as his children we just trust that and go wow if life is this good right now in this marriage and these relationships that he created imagine what the next one's going to be and and what he says is that we are all God's children now my my girls are at, at an age i got three girls but they're they're at an age where they like it at home okay and uh, and they'll make statements like, "Daddy, I'm never getting married, you know, because I just want to be with you forever, you know." And, and I, you know, and you just you don't say anything; you just kind of soak it up in your head. You're going, "Yeah, we'll see how long this lasts," you know. But but you just love it; you just love it; you just go, "Oh, this is so cool." Because to them, it's like this perfect environment. And sometimes when they get older, then they start thinking, "Okay, I want to move on to something better." Well, the idea here is, as children of the perfect father, you know, it's that contentment of. I don't ever want to leave. This is the perfect Father. There's, there's nothing better to move on to, and we're in this existence, and, and we need to think about it. I don't think we think about heaven enough. Because th- the truth is, is that all of us in this room that are believers, we are going to spend eternity to get forever. We throw that word around a lot. But that means a hundred years from now. A hundred years from now, I'll be looking at Mary as my sister. A real, real sister in Christ, and we will have been together all that time. And that Graham really is my brother, and and for hundreds, hundreds, thousands of years, we, we're literally going to be together. I mean, honestly, I, I believe Graham Manuel. Like, like, like years from now, a hundred years from now, that we may be in heaven talking and going, man, remember how I said we'd be doing this a hundred years ago? You know, I mean, and just how it's this. Brother and sister relationship forever. And you guys, I I don't think we think about that enough because we're so segregated in our world. It's just the world we live in right now where we kind of keep our family to ourselves. This is my family. This is, you know, our territory. Hey, I built that fencer so you wouldn't come on my grass. You know, this is, you know, and we do that socially, like, no, these are my friends. And we kind of keep to ourselves. When in reality, you got to understand, I don't think we get that the bond that some of you guys have with me is going to last longer than the bond you're going to have with some of your family members. Your, your family and that unit is only going to last for a few years. You've got to understand that. It's just a blink of an eye, it's just, you know, a vapor, the Bible says. But this relationship, those who believe in Jesus, those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, those who believe that Jesus died on the cross. Their sins. Those of us in this room that believe we're guilty but that God loved us and sent His Son to pay for the penalty on our, our, our behalf, we're going to spend eternity forever as brothers and sisters under the, the, the headship of, of God the Father. And what an amazing time. Forever. Forever. Do you believe that? See, if you think about that, then we won't let relationships fall apart that quickly because sometimes we think, well, I'm never going to see that guy again anyways. Or, you know, you're at war with someone, well, well, they moved, or they went to another church, and so, you know, I'm not going to have to deal with him or deal... No, that's your brother and sister forever in this next existence that we're going to be a part of. And it it would really do you you well to think about that quite a bit because we're going to be together for a long time and it's a pretty amazing thought under you know, the leadership of God the Father as his children. The Bible says in John 1, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And so those in this room who believe in the name of Jesus, believe that he died on the cross for your sins, you've received him as your Lord and Savior, you know, you, you, you're a child of God and we're going to spend eternity together. Anyways, Jesus makes that statement. Oh, I've got to hurry now. Um, and, uh, but that's not all he says. He, then he, he says to them, he goes, oh, since you're quoting Moses, by the way, you know, Jesus goes, let me quote Moses. Remember when Moses called God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were already dead at that point, so how could he still be their God? They must have still been alive, right? You know, it shows that even in the Old Testament, it shows that there was life after death and that that God was still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he's not the God of dead people. He's a God of those who are alive. And, and so Jesus just kind of throws that at them since they were quoting Moses. He goes, let me do it too. And then in verse 39, it says, some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher, and no one dared ask him any more questions. Okay, he just had the answers. He had the answers. God has the answers to everything. I don't. People in this church don't. Um, we find out what we can, but if you do have legitimate questions, what I want you to do is uh, on your on your little card that you get in the bulletin, go ahead and write in the back, write a question, anything you always wanted to know about God that you never understood, something in the Bible you didn't understand, in a couple of weeks I'm going to answer those, you know, if if I can, if there's a biblical answer to them, and, and go through the ones that are most asked, but because we want to be a place where you can ask questions. Um, in fact, as the a, as a worship team comes forward, you know, if any of you guys have questions today and go, you know what, I... I came here because I wanted to try to understand God and there's just some things that hold me back. I don't get it. And you want to talk to someone, you know, we will be up here in the prayer room during the worship time. And um, also, if anyone today would say, you know, I, this whole thing about being a part of this family, I, I do believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I do want to become a part of this family. The Bible says the first thing you do is you get baptized. Um, baptism is that time when you just publicly say, look, I'm dying to my old way of life. I come out of the water and you say, you know what, I'm going to live for Jesus now. And, uh, and really, it's the first thing you're supposed to do as a believer. And if you've never done that, we encourage you to get baptized today, um, you know, right, after, right after our worship time.